All right, well, good morning, church. Good morning. So a few, a few announcements before we get going. Next Sunday, potluck Sunday. And I'm going to give you uh, an advance notice for February as well. February 12th, potluck Sunday. Uh, but that's also Super Bowl Sunday, so it's Super Bowl potluck Sunday. We don't do a Super Bowl potluck Sunday necessarily to watch the Super Bowl. Because we don't, you know... There's not a team in there we're concerned about. But, but, but we do it to hang out in fellowship and watch the Super Bowl and eat food. So, so that'll be February 12th. Also, on the back table back there, there are these books. They did not come in time for me to give them to you as Christmas presents because they didn't get released until January. But this is Bible Prophecy, The Essentials. Answer to Your Most Common Questions by Amir Safadi and Barry Stagner. Barry Stagner is pastor at Calvary Chapel down in California. Amir Safadi, of course, a lot of you know, but he's a Bible teacher, comes from Israel. And, uh, and so these are free for the taking. Take one. Um, there's 10, including this one. I have my own, so this one is free. Somebody can take this one if you want. Um, so grab one on before you leave. And we'll have them, you know, if there's any left over, we'll have them here next week for whoever, for all of those who aren't here today that might want one. So, all right. We were finishing up Genesis chapter 27. And we're going to start chapter 28, believe it or not. That only took us four weeks to get through chapter 27. I don't know if, about you guys, but have you had enough of, I hate to put it this way, but have you had enough of this chapter yet? <laughs> the spiritual blindness, right? Isaac's blindness, Rebecca's deception, Jacob's lies. You would think that like all this, like this was like some sort of session of Congress or something. It was... And it's not over. There's, there's, there's more deception and trickery that's coming. It's not over. You kind of get a picture as we continue on, as we go into chapter 28 and, and 29. You kind of see where that seed came from, more on Rebecca's side of the family than Isaac's. Um, but yeah, there's more coming with Jacob and Laban and Rachel and Leah. But the encouraging thing that you should know, because... It, it can get depressing. I, I don't know about you guys. I mean, it's a little, maybe a little different from me because of the, you know, the amount of study and, uh, and the amount that I'm in it. But it can get a little depressing just when you're reading through this over and over and over again and all you're reading is just all this, you know, gut-wrenching family problems all this deception and, and, and lies and trickery, it gets a little depressing. And you're like, is there ever going to be silver lining? Is there ever going to be, you know, when's, I mean, I mean, you know the story, you know how things unfold, but yet you're reading it and you're just like, come on. But the, the encouraging part of all this in the midst of this chapter, and as we continue on, like I said, that's not over yet. The encouraging part about all of this is that God has a plan, Right? God has a plan for Jacob. God, God has a plan for Esau. God has a plan for everything that they're going through and everything that he's about to go through. It's, it's not done. 
right? I mean, the heel catcher, right, the supplanter, Jacob, is going to be known as God prevails. Even in the midst of this family drama, right? Even in the midst of this family drama, even in the midst of this deception, even in the midst of all these lies, guess what? God will prevail. And that's for us, just to start off with before we get going, that's something we shouldn't forget. Because what he's going through right here, just in this little snapshot of his family and everything that's going on between you know, Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau, that plays out in a larger picture in the world that we're living in today. All the deception and the lies and the blindness and, and everything like that. So we're, we're, we may experience it in a smaller picture within family as well, but we're experiencing it in a larger picture with, within the world. And so it's easy to get overwhelmed and discouraged if we don't remember that God has a plan. So we just need to remember, not forget, that God will prevail. Right? Even in the midst of all this, God will prevail. Not evil, not immorality, right? not the lies. God. God will prevail. God will prevail. So this morning as we wrap up chapter 27 and get into chapter 8, what we're looking at is the fallout, okay? What we're looking at is the fallout from all of this. We're looking at the consequences of all their actions, right? Everyone's, Isaac's, Rebecca's, Jacob's, Esau's, everyone's. We're looking at the fallout from all their actions because everyone is involved, everyone is affected, Nothing plays out like they wanted. No one escapes any, you know, the collateral damage here. Right? Each one of them caught a piece of shrapnel, if you will. Right? Has anyone, though, has anyone seen the error of their ways in the midst of this? Has anyone went, oh, man, we were wrong? Well, let's read. Right? Let's read. Let's continue on. We're going to start with verse 30 and read through um, what, nine? Yeah, nine verses in chapter 28. So remember, Jacob had gone in, dressed up as Esau, convinced his father he was Esau, and got the blessing. And so we're picking up right after Isaac gives Jacob the blessing. So verse 30. It says, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father... Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And his father, Isaac, said to him, Who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. And then Isaac trembled very violently. And he said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? 
for he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. And so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. And then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I bereft of you both in one, be bereft of you both in one day? And then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So then Isaac, verse, chapter 28, verse 1, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padam Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his, fa his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebuith. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. I thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you will speak this to our hearts, the message that we can learn from this and the message that we can see and the message that we can share with others, Lord. I pray that you just speak this to us. I pray, Lord, that your words be spoken and your spirit to speak to us this morning. Encourage all those who aren't here this morning, Lord, be with them and bless them as they're recovering from sickness and from health. We just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter says, my voice is distorted online, but there's nothing we can do about that. So if you get any messages back there, tell Peter it's just his television. I don't know. Nothing we can do. For every action, Newton's third law says, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that... All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. 
right? All things are lawful, but not all things build up. See, you can make whatever choices that you want to make. Generally, God's not going to stop you. He's given you free choice. He may discipline you, if that's not a smart choice, right? But regardless of that, regardless of your freedom, there are choices that you should not make. Now, Isaac and Esau had the freedom to make a choice that clearly went against the will of God. God had promised that Jacob was to receive the blessing. Isaac knew this. Right? You, can, you can argue all you want that maybe Esau wasn't aware of it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that everyone was aware of the promise. Right? So, so they had the freedom to make that choice that clearly went against the will of God. And Jacob had the freedom to make a choice to deceive Isaac and to lie to Isaac and to make him think that he was Esau and in that steal the blessing that Isaac wanted to give to Esau, yet Jacob already, God had already promised to Jacob. Right? It's a lot of work for something that he didn't have to, he didn't need to do. Who had given him that promise? Of course, God had given him that promise. See, every one of them had choices to make in this, and none of them made the right choice. Not one of them. Their choices have consequences, and the consequences are usually something you don't get to choose. You can make the choice, but the consequences, you don't. You don't necessarily get to choose. In Luke 12, it tells us that nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. In other words, you're not going to get away with anything that you think you're going to get away with. Everything that you think you've done in secret will come to light. Now, the timing of all this, of course, of everything that's happening here and where we pick up this morning in verse 30 makes this even more dramatic. Not that there wasn't already a dramatic thing that was happening within the household anyway with all this, you know, no one trusted each other in this family at this point. Right? I mean, you could cut the tension probably with a knife. Rebecca had her favorite, which was Jacob, and Isaac had his favorite, which was Esau, and it seems like they were both just working against each other and everything that was done it wasn't a great family time. But as soon as Jacob tricked his dad and received the blessing from Isaac and he left, it says Esau came in from hunting. I mean, they probably just passed each, you know, the revolving door thing where whew, the door swings as one guy's walking out and the other guy's walking in. They probably just, you know, passed each other really quick in a, in a scenario like that. So you can kind of picture Esau, he's returning from hunting, he's probably whistling to himself like one of the seven dwarves or something. Maybe not, I don't know. But he comes in and he prepares the food and he goes in to see his father who's going to bless him materialistically in such a way that he's never been blessed before and that he wants. Because what is he concerned about? Is he concerned about the spiritual blessing that's been passed down from Abraham? No. He's not concerned about that at all. Esau doesn't care about that. It says Esau despised his birthright. No one stole his birthright from him. He gave it up. He didn't care for it. He's not thinking spiritually in any way, shape, or form. He's thinking materialistically. He's thinking, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to get this blessing from my father that I deserve. I should get it. I'm the firstborn son. Not Jacob. Jacob shouldn't get this. Right? So he's thinking, hey, hey, hey. Right? 
I'm going to get the blessing. So he goes in there. He's got the food. It's going to make up for him, you know, quote, unquote, selling his birthright. So, and at first he may have been a little confused because he's like, hey, dad, here I am. I've got the food. Eat of this so that your soul may bless me. And his dad's like, who are you? He's like, well, okay. You're a little senile and blind. I get it. I understand. It's me, Esau, your firstborn. And as soon as he said that, his father, Isaac, reacted in such a way that he knew, wait a minute, something's wrong. Right? He might have thought at first, my dad's just crazy. Right? He's getting old and blind. He can't tell who it is. It's okay. I'll, you know, I'll step into the light here. Maybe he can see me better. But as soon as he said, it's Esau, you're firstborn. I have the food. And Isaac's reaction then would change everything. Because what does it say that Isaac did? In verse 33, it says, Isaac trembled very violently. He started shaking. And he's not just shaking as in, you know. And when it says, I trembled very violently. It can be translated, he trembled most excessively with great trembling. You get the picture? Right? He was, it was shaking, violently shaking. The word can be translated quake. Think of an earthquake, but on a personal level, right? Like if you yourself were having an earthquake internally, right? it was very violent trembling. Right? And there were two reasons probably more, but there were two reasons why Isaac started trembling. The first reason was he'd been caught. He was trying to get away with something that now he didn't get away with, right? He'd been caught. He knew it. His deception had been found out. His lies had caught up with him. It had all been uncovered. Uh Uh-oh, right? But the important reason that made him start trembling so violently is that he knew right then, right there, that you cannot work against God's plans. Because he was disobediently trying to go around God's will, purposefully. Why? We don't really know. But for some reason, Isaac decided that he wanted to give that blessing to Esau. He knew that God had promised it to Jacob, and he was going to try and go around that. And he just found out, you can't. Right? He learned an important lesson, and I hope it's a lesson you don't ever have to learn yourself in this way. Learn it now, so you don't have to go through it. Yourself personally. Because you're going to lose if you try to resist the will of God. Right? Despite your arrogance, despite your pride, even despite the effort you may put into it. Maybe you're really good at pulling off a you know, deception. Despite all that, you will not be glorified. God will. So the impact of all these things that just came flooding over Isaac really fast, right? the impact of all his sinful actions that hit him right in the face, and it wasn't just a little playful slap either, right? It was a full fist. He just got knocked sideways by God, basically. And 
he was overwhelmed, and he was flooded with emotions of all kinds. You can imagine what was running through his mind so fast at this point. So what he started doing, he started shaking and convulsing and quaking violently. I mean, Esau might have even been thinking, my dad's having a seizure. What's going on with him? Right? But you see, Isaac knew that judgment had come. That God was disciplining him. And he was probably hoping that he wasn't going to be killed on the spot. And as soon as it clicks in Esau's brain exactly what's happened, right? Because Isaac tells him, well, wait a minute, who was it that just came in right before you and gave me a meal and I ate and I blessed him? And yes, he shall be blessed. As soon as it clicks in Esau's brain exactly what's happening, what's Esau's reaction? Well, it says in the last part of that same chapter, in that verse, verse 33, right? It says, or 34, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Right? Exceedingly great and bitter cry. That word exceedingly, right, is the same word used for Isaac. Isaac was shaking exceedingly great. Esau started crying exceedingly great. It was an exceedingly great and bitter cry. It must have been a spectacle to, to watch. Quite frankly, you had Isaac shaking violently and you had Esau crying violently. And the two of them probably just looked like, you know, they had lost everything in their whole life. But Esau, of course, is really only thinking about himself. And so he, quick thinking, though, he says, but father, but father, bless me too. Okay, so you gave away the other blessing. That's Okay. Bless me, bless me as well. You still have another blessing left for me, right? You still have one left. I mean, that's what he says in verse 36. In verse 38, he says, you only have one blessing? Do you, do you only have one blessing? Bless me, Dad. Bless me. Again, understand, Esau's thinking. He's not thinking spiritually. He's just thinking materialistically. He's like, listen, Dad, you got to have something left for me, Right? What he was lamenting, really, what he was brokenhearted about was the fact that he had just lost all this money, that he had just lost all this wealth, that he had just lost all this fame, that he had just lost all this popularity, right? That, that everything that he valued, which was all material things, had just been taken away from him. That's why he was crying. It had nothing to do with the blessing that had been passed down from Abraham. It was just that he had lost all this material things. He still didn't value his birthright. That's why he wanted his father's blessing. Not because of anything that the Lord had promised. That had no spirit. He saw no spiritual value in any of that. Nothing that he understood or he accepted. Esau's tears were the tears of frustrated selfishness. Not of any regret. Of sin. Isaac's trembling was because of regret. He realized he'd been caught. You realize that you can't go around God like that. Isaac, Esau, he didn't have any regret. He was just sorry that he wasn't going to be wealthy now. Right? He wasn't regretful for any sin that he had done. But his father, Isaac, is really clear for, with him. 
He listened. He says, listen, it's too late. It's too late. Right? The blessing that you're looking for, the blessing that you really truly want is no longer available. It can't be yours. I can't give it to you. I've given it to your brother, and it is his. Right? He says, your brother has taken it from you. Right? And then that's when Esau quips. Well, he's rightly named Jacob, isn't he? Right? He's cheated me twice. Foiled, <coughs> foiled again. But Isaac tells him. He says, listen, I have made him Lord over you. I've given him grain and wine. I've sustained him. The blessing is his. He shall be blessed. <coughs> and he tells Esau unapologetically, he says, so what can I do for you? I can't do anything for you now. Nothing. What you're truly looking for has been given away. It was never yours to begin with. You shouldn't have received it. <coughs> He's basically telling Esau, listen, we tried. <coughs> we tried to go around God. It was wrong. We failed. God intended all along for your brother to receive the blessing. He has received it, and there's nothing I can do about it. I can't take it back. Matter of fact, even if I could, I wouldn't even try. Because I understand now. I understand now. It was Jacob's from the beginning. Your brother has received what is his. Now Isaac does bless Esau. He gives him a blessing. And it basically fulfills everything that was already said about Jacob and Esau before they were born. And the blessing that he bestows on Esau... Here, he says, behold, away from the fatness of the land, that can actually be translated, um, your blessing or your dwelling will be from the fatness of the earth, not away necessarily, but from, shall be your dwelling and away from the dew of the heaven on high, and by by your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother, but when you go restless you shall break his yoke from your neck. So basically, he tells them, listen, you're going to live as nomads. Your descendants are going to live as nomads. You're going to live in the wilderness lands. You're going to live in violence and subjection to Israel, which is how it played out for the Edomites. And he basically is affirming everything that God had already said about Esau before he was even born. So Isaac, Isaac has now been humbled, and he's been disciplined by God. and rightly so, right? He ends up fulfilling God's will for both his sons despite his best humanly efforts here to try and do the opposite. Spurgeon tells us this. He says, as soon as Isaac perceives that he has been wrong in wishing to bless Esau, he does not persist in it. He will give Esau such a blessing as he may, but he does not think for a moment of retracting what he has done. He feels that the hand of God was in it. What more? He tells his son, he is blessed, yes, and shall he be blessed? Meaning, of course, that it was rightly Jacob's to begin with. You don't get it. 
I mean, Isaac's first response was to violently shake and tremble when he'd realized that he had sinned greatly against God. <clears throat> Yet, from that, he quickly adjusted. He quickly adjusted. Yeah, he adjusts his course and he ends up doing God's will for both his sons. See, there are consequences to your actions. Now, obviously, God's will was done. But there's still a consequence to the fact that Isaac tried to disobediently go around God's promises. And one of the consequences, of course, to that is, is seen in the response of Esau. If Esau had any righteous concern at all regarding the blessing, which I don't believe he did, but if he had any at all, any small little righteous concern at all about the blessing, it quickly disappeared as soon as he realized he wasn't going to get the blessing that he wanted. <clears throat> it quickly disappeared in this cloud of bitter hatred against his brother Jacob. Right? And we see that down in verse 41. It says, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, which means that he thinks his father's going to die soon. <clears throat> which he wasn't, by the way. Isaac lived like easily, possibly another 70 years, maybe a little less than that, depending on what his age actually is here, because we don't know. But he didn't just die the next day like Esau's kind of thinking, I think my father's going to die here any minute, so as soon as he's dead, I'm going to go kill Jacob. I'll wait for him to die first. <clears throat> so Esau's hatred rose against Jacob for many reasons, but mostly it was out of pride and envy. Right, pride because his brother would be greater than him, and envy because his brother was going to prosper greatly and he wasn't. Right, James chapter 3, verse 16 tells us that for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And you're seeing that in a small picture right here in the heart of Esau. Right, because he was jealous and he had this selfish ambition to want to be greater than everyone else. And because of that, you know, in his life specifically, there was disorder and there was every vile practice. It tells us in Hebrews that he was immoral and unholy, that Esau was. So Esau says, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. I'm going to wait till dad dies, right? I like my dad. I'll wait till he dies. And then I'm going to kill Jacob. But Rebecca, of course, gets wind of this. And she calls Jacob. And she tells him, listen, your brother is comforted. Think about that. Your brother is comforted by the idea of killing you as soon as he can. This is what's comforting Esau right now, the thought of killing his brother. Esau didn't really have any regrets concerning any of his sinful actions. He wasn't convicted at all concerning anything that he'd done. Right? His sinful choices, his immorality, his carnal living, whatever. None of it didn't bother him at all. Instead, what it did, what his attitude and his pride had done is they had taken him from this carefree hunter, which is like that picture of him we have early on in his life, to now this bitter, vindictive, psychotic. Right? I'm going to kill him. 
He went from dreaming about hunting game to dreaming about hunting Jacob. You know the phrase, don't get mad, get even. He was both mad and he wanted to get even. Right? I mean, if he couldn't enjoy the blessing, then neither would Jacob. If I can't enjoy it, you're not going to enjoy it either. It says that he was destined to live by the sword. That was the blessing his father gave him. So he says, well, if I'm going to live by the sword, I might as well start right here in the family. Kill my brother as soon as I can. We'll start right here at home. You know, revenge may seem comforting to us when we've been wronged. I mean, have you ever been in that situation? Where someone has done something so wrong against you, the only thing that you can think of right away is how can you get revenge on that person? They embarrassed me in front of my friends. How can I embarrass them? Right? Two wrongs don't make a right. We've heard all these phrases. We teach them to our kids. We often want to respond the exact same way that we've been treated. So if someone mistreats us, we want to mistreat them. If they shame us, we want to shame them. If they hurt us, we want to hurt them. That's often our first response in things. Esau here, this was comforting to him. Revenge was comforting to him. Nothing else could comfort him right now except for the thought of killing his brother and getting revenge. But those seeds, those seeds that get planted choke out anything and everything else that may have been in your heart. Right? And so Esau's heart's being tangled up right now by these seeds of bitterness, by these seeds of hatred. And those seeds, they never produce a fruit that's worth harvesting. Never. Right? It tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind, it says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness would have had way more impact in this family right now than hatred. If Esau could have only seen that. You know he had to have been raised in the ways of the Lord. Right? Because Isaac was such a man of faith. And even though Isaac was older now and, you know, he was a little bit spiritually blind coming into this situation, you know how he raised his kids. They, they, they knew about God. They knew about God's word. But Esau, his hatred, it blinded him to the point where he's like, I'm only comforted by the, the thought that I'm going to be able to kill Jacob. Right? Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. If only... He could have just like loved his brother and forgave him. But it would have had to have come actually from someone else. Because his actions are a result of someone else's choices. Not just his, but someone else's, but also his. It's a combination of the whole family thing. Isaac and Rebekah should have had this picture of godly love that was forever shown to their children. They should have been able to, to have this life that all it did was shown the love of God to their kids. I mean, theirs was a marriage made in heaven. And yet here they are now at the later end of things and they're just deceiving and lying and drinking and 
And that's the example now that they're setting for their children. And we don't know how long it's even been going on when it started. If love and forgiveness had been the example that they set for their kids back here, then maybe when we had got to this point, things might have been a little different with Esau and Jacob. But somehow, all this other stuff, this trickery, and this deception, it choked everything else out. Right? Now again, Rebecca hears this, and she calls Jacob to her, and she says, listen, your brother is comforted. He's comforting himself right now with, with this idea that as soon as he can, he can kill you. So you need to leave. So what I want you to do is I want you to go to my family, right? I want you to go to my brother Laban, you know, in Haran, and I want you to stay there till the heat dies down. You know, in the King James it says, she tells him, I want you to stay there for a few days. Right? Stay with him a while. Go find a wife there. Right? Now, he's, what he's going to find there is more deception and more trickery and stuff like that. It's not over yet, Right? But And those few days that she wanted him to stay there, she's like, go stay there for a few days, and when the heat dies down, I'll call you back when it's safe. Well, those few days turn into 20 years. And Jacob never sees his mom again. Right? That was an unintended con consequence of their actions. I mean, it was her own deception, her own lies... But even if she regretted them now, even at this point, she's regretted everything that got them to this, everything that led up to this point. It was too late. I mean, even if she saw the error of her ways now, her actions had led her to a point where she had to make a choice to send Jacob away. Her favorite son, she had to make a choice now to send him away from her. She's hoping that she'll be able to call him back. And one wonders if she counted the cost. If she, you know, if she ran all the scenarios through her head before she made the choice. But she really didn't, didn't matter. She had to make the choice. She obviously wants to save the life of Jacob. And she's still not being forthright about things because she goes to Isaac and she says, oh, these Canaanite women, right? these Hittite women, I don't want Jacob marrying any of these women in this area. We already have headaches with the two that Esau married. I don't want him marrying any of these women. You need to send him to my family to find a wife because if he marries a, a woman from this area, it'll be the death of me. She doesn't say, Esau says he wants to kill Jacob. We need to send him away to save him. She says, she comes up with this whole story, right? This whole melodrama type thing. And of course, Isaac says, okay, fine, I will. So Isaac does. Right? He calls him in, he blesses him, he, he directs him, he says, this is where I want you to go, this is what I want you to do, you need to go do it. But it's so tragic. I mean, Rebecca gets her wish, Jacob's life is going to be spared. But I'm pretty sure that it wasn't in the game plan. I don't think that's what she wanted for him to have to be away for 20 years, or that she would never see him again. That's just an unintended consequence. It's such a tragic story because everyone loses in this story, really. All the main characters, right? Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, Jacob, through their scheming, through their lives, through the choices that they made, they had to live with the consequences of those choices, and the consequences were not what they were thinking of when they started playing these games, right? Yet through it all, God did what? 
he still accomplished his purpose, right? His will was done. But the tragedy was, of course, is that everyone suffered. People will be like, well, God must have blessed this deception because, look, Rebecca and Isaac got what God had promised. I mean, Rebecca and Jacob got what God had promised Jacob to begin with, which is, you know, why maybe God allowed all this deception and lies and trickery. Okay, whatever. But there's still consequences to everything that they did. God allowed them to make the choice. He didn't want them to make the choice. They didn't have to do this. This had already been promised to Jacob. They didn't have to go through all this. But they did. And now they have to deal with how it falls out. You don't get to choose that. So the tragedy is is that everyone suffered because they went against God's word and they went against God's promises. And it didn't have to be that way. That's the tragedy. As a matter of fact, she sends Jacob away. And because Esau is mad and wants to kill his brother, and quite frankly, he's probably mad at his parents too, mad at Isaac, mad at Rebekah for helping with the deception. And he knows that they're not happy with his two Canaanite wives that he already has, because we read that earlier as we were studying through it. And he hears that they specifically instruct Jacob, listen, go to Haran, go to my brother Laban, right? And, and he hears that Jacob's obedient. Of course, Jacob's obedient, right? He's always doing what the parents say. He says, well, I'm going to go get another wife too. And if they don't like the Canaanite women, that's fine. I won't, I'll, I'll try to get on their good side with this wife. I'll go to Ishmael. I'll get one of his daughters. That's a good thing, right? Obviously, it'll be good because it's Ishmael. That's a relative. They'll be happy with that choice. Maybe it'll help relations. It was really just a sad attempt to close the barn door after the horse had already left. I mean, Esau hadn't really been concerned up to this point about anything, his birthright, his marriages, his immorality, etc. None of that seemed to really concern him. And it was really too late. Right? If he's thinking that he's going to regain his the favor of his parents, or in some way get a blessing from God by going and marrying another wife who happens to be the daughter of Ishmael, Esau is still not thinking correctly. His, motive, his motives are still wrong. And obviously that's, it wasn't a smart choice to make. It was a bad choice on his part because of God's promises concerning Ishmael. So Esau wasn't going to receive any special blessing because of this choice either. But if it showed anything at all, if there's any glimmer of hope found in that fact that Esau decided he was trying to maybe get on his parents' good side here, what it showed was that maybe, just maybe, Esau was starting to understand that not all his troubles were because of Jacob. Maybe some of his own choices had played a part in everything that had transpired. And so now he's trying, possibly, <laughs> to make a good choice. I mean, spoiler alert, just so you know, there will be reconciliation, right? Jacob and Esau will reconcile. But we're not there yet. Choices have consequences. The choice of Isaac to disobey God and to try and bless Esau instead of Jacob led to the choice Rebekah and Jacob made in deceiving and lying to Isaac, which led, yes, to Isaac blessing Jacob 
And when the deceitfulness was uncovered, it led to Isaac basically repenting. But it also led to Esau being filled with bitter hatred towards Jacob and wanting to kill him. And then it also led to Rebekah having to make the choice to send Jacob away to her brother, basically you know, Jacob having to flee for his life, which led to Jacob never seeing his mom again. Choices of consequences. So, what are we going to take home from this? I got two things for you. First one, count the cost of your choices. Okay? Count the cost of your choices. We will always have choices to make. Good or bad, right or wrong. So what is informing our choices? Right? Is it our greed? Is it our selfishness? Is it our pride? Or is it the word of God? Right? Proverbs 8.10 says, Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold, which means follow the instruction and knowledge of God's word instead of what the world has to offer. So have you counted the cost of following Jesus? Right? Counting the cost means do you understand the terms? Jesus talks about this in Luke 12. And it's an interesting section of verses. And I'll read it to you, but I'm not, we're not going to really you know, pull this one out and teach it. But it says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able, to, able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while well, the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Before he said this, Jesus said, to be my disciple, you have to pick up your cross and follow me. You have to count the cost of what it means to be my disciple. You have to understand. See, following Christ means that we simply can't follow our own inclinations. Right? We cannot follow Jesus and the world at the same time. There is a cost to following Jesus. Following Jesus may mean that we lose friendships, that we lose material things, that we lose even possibly our lives. Right? That's not a concern here in the United States to, for us, but in other countries, that's a huge concern. Right? See, Esau wanted the material things, not the spiritual. He missed out because he followed the world and he didn't follow God. He hadn't counted the cost. Right? He hadn't taken anything seriously. He despised the blessings of God. So you see, some follow Jesus simply for what they can get. Right? They, they, when you go through the Gospels, right? when we've taught through them, you see that some follow Jesus just because he's healing people. Some follow Jesus because he fed 5,000 with the, the loaves and the fish. They're like, hey, we follow Jesus. We might get healed. We could get you know, food out of the deal. There's all kinds of cool things that benefit us from following him. But when the cost of following Jesus was presented to them, the actual true cost of following Jesus and being a disciple of Christ, they said, being a disciple of Christ, they said, Whoa, I'm out of here. I'm not going to pay that price. I'm not going to do that. What do you mean sell everything that I own and give my money to the poor? That's a ridiculous thought. Right? 
So some people follow Jesus simply for what they can get, the material blessings, yet when the going gets tough, what do they do? They don't stick around, right? They take off. When it's God's way or God's will, right? When God's way or God's will conflict with our way or our will, and if we haven't counted the cost, we're going to leave Jesus behind to satisfy our own selfish desires. That's what Esau was doing, leaving the promises of God behind to satisfy his own selfish desires. Right? We will sell our birthright for a bowl of soup. And we may come to regret it later. There may come a time when we're like, oh, nuts, right? I screwed up. And that time could be too late. Which brings me to my second point. There is a time that it will be too late for repentance. There is a time, no matter how much you want it, that it's too late for regrets. The Hebrew word for regret literally means to sigh, by the way. <sighs> right? Why do I say this? Well, I say this because of Hebrews 12. Where they describe, where they use Esau as the illustration of what they're talking about here. It says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails, no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. See, when it got down to the end of it, Esau could never have what he wanted. Because it was too late for him. It was too late. The blessing had been given to Jacob. It was never rightly Esau's to begin with. You know, regret occurs because we aren't perfect. We aren't all-knowing. And often we are led by our emotions and our pride and our selfishness and our flesh. And surprise, surprise, we make mistakes. We sin. Right? Then as life goes on, we look back at many of the stupid choices that we've made over time, and we regret them. Right? Because many of those bad choices that we made came from sin. They were sinful. Not all of them. I mean, we make foolish choices that aren't sinful. But many of them come from our own sinful actions. And choices, as we've said, have consequences. Sinful choices can leave destruction in our wake. Maybe our sinful choices, much like Esau, have filled us with bitterness and hate. Maybe they have drained us of our joy. Maybe our sinful choices have led us to either to, to, to more sinful choices that we wouldn't have done otherwise. And what does this lead to? This leads to regret. Now the Lord wants to use that regret to lead you to repentance. That's what the Lord, how the Lord wants to use it. But instead of us being repentant, like Isaac, Isaac basically repented. He saw the error of his ways. He had regret over what he had done. And he was like, oh, I screwed up. God's will be done. Sorry. Sorry, Esau. <laughs> Sorry. We were wrong. Right? 
God wants to lead us into repentance. Regret and repentance are not the same thing. We can regret our actions and never once repent of our actions. Esau may have regretted his actions, but as it tells us in Hebrews, he never repented. He sought repentance, but it was too late. There was no chance for him. He sought it with tears, but it doesn't matter. And it reminds me of something that Jesus said. This is what this reminded me of. Basically what Jesus said, summarizing it to really one short sentence, was repent (laughs) or you will perish. Right? He says, one day the master of the house is going to arise and he's going to shut the door. And many are going to strive to enter that door, but they won't be able to. And they're going to stand outside. They're going to say, let us in. Open the door. And Jesus is going to say, I don't know you. Go away. They're going to seek their repentance with tears. It says there's going to be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. I mean, you talk about shaking violently and crying violently. You ain't seen nothing yet. And it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. So instead of allowing our pride and our regret to win, let's be transformed by the grace of Jesus. Instead of allowing sin to consume our lives and fill us with this bitter hatred sometimes that we can get or the idea of revenge, let's just lay it at the feet of Jesus. Turn away from it, which means repent of it. And be forgiven and restored. If you need to do that, now is the time. As long as it is called today. Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. So don't wait, right? Commit your actions to the Lord. Choose this day whom you're going to follow. Who you're going to follow? I'm going to follow Jesus. Not the world. And then let people know that. Let people know Jesus is the way, right? He is the way, the truth, and the life because that's what they're looking for. And we don't want them to be on the other side of the door wishing they could get in when it's too late. We want them to be in with us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you will just speak this into our hearts and into our lives and continue, Lord, to help us live this way. Live a life, Lord, that where we can just continue to testify about the greatness of God and be an example, be a light in the darkness of the grace of Jesus. We can point people to the hope, the hope they're looking for. Don't let us be mired down, Lord, by our regrets and our bad decisions. Let us repent of those and turn to you and be restored. We just thank you for this, Lord. We pray you just bless this week, bless the rest of this day. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, guys.